Welcome into the Oxford Exxon podcast, a little different type of show for you today as Chase Parham is at St. Leo talking with St. Leo Beverage Director Marissa Wyant. Marissa has extensive bartending experience in multiple cities, including Tampa, where she routinely served professional sports players and coaches. She also has a PhD from Ole Miss in political science and spent years as a media advertising executive. She's a great guest as they talk cocktails, her background, how St. Leo puts together a James Beard-worthy cocktail program, and much more. Before we get to that, let me tell you about the Oxford Exxon. We're still trying to give away 10 bucks. Just take a picture of the QR code at the pump and you get 1,000 points, which equals 10 bucks with the, Oxford Ex- with the Exxon mobile app. Any Blue Sky location in Mississippi will work for that and lunch specials for five sixty nine nice here in Oxford. The podcast comes to you daily from the Clark Ford studio. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi. Corey wants to be your truck guy, your car guy. Let him help you at 662-257-1900 or stop by on Highway 25 South in Amory. I think I'm supposed to say something about there being no haggling. I've listened enough to these podcasts, but you know the drill at this point. Also, all guests appear on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline with March Madness here. Stop in off the square and watch all the games while getting great drinks and quality food menu. So with that, here's Chase Parham and Marissa Wyant. Welcome to this edition of the show and one where my job does not suck. Instead of in the studio, studio, we are at St. Leo today. And my guest, Marissa Wyant, beverage director for St. Leo, PhD graduate, a lot of stuff. We'll get into all that, of course, as uh, we get into today's show. We have cocktails in front of us as well. We'll have a little bit of a, a bourbon south feel for you guys who were around for our bourbon podcast there a couple years ago. But we are uh, on location good to uh to talk some cocktails some uh some life history some newspaper marketing at some point today as we get going as well but marissa thanks for the time i know it's your day off for coming in so let's start with uh just tell me what i have in front of me because you you got me excited you asked me what my favorite cocktail was i said it was a sazerac so we are spinning off that a little bit i've got bacon in a glass i've got bourbon <laughs> in a glass you guys have a new cocktail menu so what are we uh what are we doing today that's right yeah so this is our sort of early spring menu um we just rolled it out last week it had great reviews over this weekend um you know so we're going to start promoting it this week with our new menu our food menu but you are drinking it's a riff on an old-fashioned i do this every menu i love an old-fashioned and an old-fashioned build but i also like to make them really cool and interesting and so um the current old-fashioned riff it's called there's no crying in baseball it's a baseball themed menu uh you can tell by the names i'm sure baseball movie kind of quotes and one-liners and character names, but um, you're drinking a bacon-rinsed bourbon base, uh, Cabernet syrup and chocolate bitters riff on an old-fashioned. So the bacon rinse actually comes from the pork jowl fat that we use here in the restaurant on anything that's got pork jowl in it. And then, uh, so I rinse the Four Roses bourbon with that. Takes about two or three days, you know, to kind of sit and then freeze and then strain off. And then the Cabernet Syrup is actually wine by the glass that we use. It's Babylon Storin, uh, Soot Milk Slay Red Blend. It's a Bordeaux blend, but cab heavy. And the chocolate bitters are from Woodford Reserve. And then that awesome piece of bacon, which I hope you eat, is uh, candied Nooski's Applewood Smoked Bacon. So it's a really good, yummy piece of bacon. You know, a lot of my listeners talk about, they heard me talk about it all the time. I typically have started getting more Sazerac, more Manhattan, kind of, you know, it's old fashioned for a long time, but frankly, if you're not kind of in a certain place, it's going to taste like orange soda with some sure. cherries at the bottom and it's yeah. all muddled and <laughs> turns into a little bit of a mess. 
this is really cool because I, I, I'm going to make you tell me here. I've resisted kind of really going deep into the chocolate bitters, and it comes out so well with this. You, you're getting a little bit of the wine, a little bit of the chocolate. There's yeah. like all this thing coming up. Like if I get all the chocolate bitters, what what do I do with that? Like what, what is it that I'm trying to pair with chocolate bitters in general? So chocolate bitters, at least in this cocktail, they kind of show up on the back end. Yeah. You know, they don't give you a really overwhelming sort of, oh, I'm licking a piece of chocolate or whatever. And it could be because they're playing really well with the salty smokiness of the bourbon and that deep richness of the cab syrup. But for me, anytime I use bitters, restraint is the key. You know, you never want to dump a ton of bitters in something. You can always add, you can't take it out. So, I mean, this drink has four drops of bitters. It's these guys come in a little eyedropper and you mm -hmm. have to really be careful. Otherwise it will be overwhelming. Bitters are really concentrated, right? They're just super, sure. super, super intense. And so, I think you could probably use chocolate bitters in anything that's going to be kind of rich, right? You wouldn't want to put them in something like a vodka or a gin-based sure, cocktail. Yeah, yeah. I think those flavors would kind of maybe compete unless it probably like one of our espresso martinis, one of the highest selling cocktails in this building. We could throw some chocolate bitters in that. That'd probably be pretty good because yeah, yeah, that sure. richness of the coffee and the creaminess yeah. of the Baileys, you know, those will work together. So just when you're using bitters, the rule is kind of think about the things that you would eat with that flavor. Mm -hmm. And that's how I build cocktails too. You know, I think about food flavors first, what would you eat? You know, you wouldn't put jalapenos with star anise. So you probably don't want to put, make a spicy cocktail with absinthe that would taste mm -hmm. weird yeah, or yeah. compete. So, you know, you just kind of think about like, what would I love to eat a piece of chocolate with? Oh my God, bacon and red wine, yum, you know? <laughs> so I dumped it together and here I got this drink. <laughs> so do you, I mean, when, when, when you're trying to build new cocktails and then create them, whatever, I mean, are we, are we just literally just tasting and sipping and trying a bunch of stuff? I mean, are we in the lab? Like, how does this work? Yeah, it kind of is a lab situation. So the very first thing I do is I think about what's in season, right? What's our food menu going to look like? You know, what kinds of things are we going to order? Um, we're lucky to be in Mississippi where we've got really great local vendors that provide us with awesome seasonal fruits and vegetables and, you know, we get local great yeah. meats and, you know, our food menu is changing pretty frequently. And so I've got lots of great stuff coming into the kitchen. Um, John Davis, Chef John Davis is back. I don't know if you've heard, but he was with us for a long time. He left for a little while. He came back. So he and I, we work really well together. We're buds, you know, and so we'll talk about some stuff like, hey, what are you throwing on this next menu? You know, I, we are limited in space. So I try to kind of think sure. about, all right, if I can overlap with some of his ingredients that are super seasonal, I'm going to try to do that. And then, like I said, I just think about what flavors go together, you know, what's popping off in during this period of this cocktail menu, you know, like probably on the next one, we're going to have stuff like peaches and, you know, blueberries and corn and all those cool late spring, early summer foods that are just awesome in Mississippi. You can't not use them, you know? And so first and foremost, right. What's seasonal secondly, and this is really driven by supply chain issues mm -hmm. right now what can we get, Right. you know, and that's been a little bit of a challenge. Um, you know, I love working with weird stuff like, you know, chartreuses, but those are really hard to get right now. So I'm definitely not going to create a cocktail. That's a, this delicious, beautiful cocktail with yellow chartreuse. And then we can't get yellow chartreuse. And so a lot of it truly is kind of, what do we have access to locally? What can we actually get consistently from, you know, the state from vendors and also just kind of what makes sense, you know, when it was winter time, I had a very like rich kind of deep flavors that worked with like, oh, I'm cold. I want a big, huge cocktail. You know, it's getting a little warmer. I'm drinking right now the Marla Hooch, 
which is a low ABV cocktail that's topped with Prosecco. And once our patio opens at the end of the month, I can sit out there in the sun and drink 10 of these things. They're delicious. So that's kind of what, I mean, it's not just, ooh, let me dump a drink together and make it, make it good. You know, yeah, like, yeah. how are we going to be drinking it? We're going to be drinking it outside. Ooh, let's make one that's refreshing, you know. And all those kind of factors go into building a good cocktail list. Yeah, and I'm, I want to talk about that as we as we move on. I'm gonna come back to it. But what it was, what was sort of your your start into this? I mean, I, I, I look at your background. Like you said, you've <laughs> kind of done a little of everything. I mean, because oh, yeah. I mean, media sales. I do a good bit of that. It is not a passion project by any magic. No. Way, I wouldn't assume. So, where did sort of the bartending come in? I mean, was it just a part time deal? Like, what, what? Where did where did your relationship with cocktails and bartending kind of begin? So kind of funny, right? I grew up right outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, and I worked for a newspaper there called the Arkansas Democrat course, Gazette yeah. when I after I went to college for the first time I did a year at Arkansas State lost my scholarship decided oh I'm a big girl I mean I can get a job you know so I worked at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in advertising and um, it was super fun you know it was really interesting working in a newspaper you know you get to pop up to the third editorial floor and kind of like see the news go on yeah, and yeah. then you go downstairs and you're selling ads and talking to clients and it was really fun and kind of glamorous and this of course is in the late 90s early 2000s and so advertising in newspapers was still kind of a big thing print newspapers i'm talking like arkansas online oh yeah online version was real new you know and so we're taking like broadsheets out to clients and like talking about color charges and all this stuff so it was really fun and then um i kind of almost on a whim ended up moving to st petersburg florida I got a job at the St. Petersburg Times. It's now called the Tampa Bay Times, doing yep. the same thing, working in real estate advertising. Okay. And I lucked out because I worked in real estate advertising during the real estate boom. But I also worked in real estate advertising during the bust. And when the housing market crashed in 2008, you know, I mean, my account list went from about a million and a half dollar billing to like $350,000. And it was bad, you know, and I'm like, oh God, you know, and here I am, this like kid in my early 20s, you know, making a whole bunch of money in St. Pete, Florida and living it up. And then all of a sudden your paycheck gets cut by so like commission two based. thirds. Total commission yeah. based. Well, I had a little bit of a base sure, salary, yeah. but mostly commission based. And so I took a huge pay cut and went, oh man, this sucks. That you know? lifestyle doesn't work anymore. No. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to school. Well, what are you going to do when you're going to school? You work in a restaurant, you know? And so I started bartending. And it was really just a part-time gig, you know, but it was fun. And I bartended at a bar right across from where the Tampa Bay Lightning play hockey. Okay. So it was wild. It was busy. It was fun, but it was a drink slinging bar. You know, you're throwing beers and vodka beers and, vodka. and yeah, shots, yeah, yeah. you know, at people fun. just quick like that. And you would have looked at somebody crazy if like, hey, give me this weird, crazy like Nobody concoction. ever would have ordered a Sazerac in that bar. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah. give me a Molson Canadian, you know. And so, but it was great fun. You know, I got to meet a lot of really rad people. And I learned that I'm pretty good at bartending and it's a really fun gig. And so, you know, and it works with school, right? So I went back to school for my bachelor's in political science, bartended, and then uh, some, you know, internal issues with that bar. It got sold and then resold. And then, so I ended up leaving there and working at this place called Dats in South Tampa. That is very, I don't want to say it's like St. Leo, but culturally it's kind of similar in that very craft cocktail driven and this is at the sort of beginning of that craft beer craft cocktail boom yeah. so it was really fun you know i got to be on that sort of starting edge of that where we were selling really weird cool beers that nobody had ever heard of boutique wines and really awesome craft cocktails and so i learned kind of this business doing that you know while i was in school and then 
just loved it, you know, and so I kept doing it and then ended up here in Mississippi. When you're learning that different thing, I mean, how, I don't want to say difficult, but I mean, was there a certain, what was the period where you are having to learn exactly the precise things for craft cocktails? And you're going from the beer swinging to that. I mean, it had to be a little bit of a transition, I would assume, just as far as yeah. knowledge and teaching yourself what's going on at that point, right? Yeah. So at DATS, we actually had a woman from New York come in and train our staff. Okay. She had a business called Couture Cocktails. And of course, you know, New York was ahead of Florida, ahead of most places with this craft cocktail movement, you know. And um, so she kind of trained us. And, you know, when you're learning how to build those cocktails, you kind of figure out like, oh, she's using like these flavors that work together in, you know, these sort of interesting ways. But like you always kind of look back to the food, right? Like what are we serving mm -hmm. on our food menu? And I'm lucky because I'm a pretty good cook. I understand a lot about flavors, you know, and like food as how food works together. And that helps, I think, really building flavors and cocktails as well. Just kind of knowing what things work together and what things definitely don't. But I mean, when you come into St. Leo and you see the cocktail list, that's the fifth or sixth or seventh draft, you know, like, and having been in school and been, you know, being an academic, I know a lot about <laughs> editing your drafts and so, <laughs> That's always fun. How's your taste change? What were you drinking back then versus now? Oh, man. Well, you know, I started out, of course, you know, drinking beers and doing those, you know, kind of, I mean, early, early 2000s, you know, SoCo lime shots, you know, and like vodka soda. And now, while I don't necessarily go out and drink a ton of cocktails at a time, I'm a pretty big wino. I love wine, okay. um, which this we have a great wine list at St. Leo. So that's super fun for me. But I do like to either start or finish a meal with like a really interesting cocktail. Okay. However, like if I go to somewhere that's known for cocktails, I'm probably going to try two or three. And I'm going to hope that my friend, whoever I'm with, wants to try two or three different ones. And we'll, you know, kind of do an exchange. But I love, you know, going to places, other places with great cocktail programs, you know, snack bar, grit, bar muse, and like trying those cocktails and bouncing ideas off of my, you know, I'm lucky to be friends with all those guys and you know, so we have a good time nerding out over cocktails too. <laughs> so you go back to school at the time that you're going back. I mean, it, it was your mind, Hey, we're going to get graduate degrees. And no. You have a PhD in international relations, political yeah. science. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all these different things. Like how the hell does it get from A to Z as far as school and then coming here? Like why here? What was sort of went into to progressing to that point of your education? Oh man, that's a great story. So um, I really, so in my undergrad, I went to university of South Florida uh, and I happened to do a study abroad and you know I took a break from school so I was like a little bit older I wasn't super old but I was a little bit older when I went back to for my undergrad and so at that point like I already owned my house you know I had some dogs like I was not in a position where I could do a study abroad that was like for a whole semester right you know I just couldn't leave my house and my dog and my jobs my job and my dogs to go live in another country for four months you know I really wanted to study abroad I love traveling I love Europe you know I'd already been to Europe once for about a month and this, this opportunity presented itself to go to a little country called Moldova, Romania and Ukraine, smallest and poorest country in Europe. Um, and it's got this sort of leftover communist, you know, legacy um, where they had sort of been trying to move towards a more Western democratic orientation, but they're very dependent upon Russia. So there's a lot of Russian influence, you know, in Moldova. So I got this opportunity to go over there for about two weeks. And it was like a condensed study abroad, condensed study abroad program. 
So I took it, you know, she, I, the program was led by the woman that ended up being my master's advisor when I did my master's at USF, Judith Ann McLaughlin. And she's amazing. She had done a Fulbright in Moldova. So she had really great connections. And I went over there and just became completely fascinated with Soviet economic and political development process and how sort of international organizations were working to help these countries sort of overcome some of those obstacles to democracy and to development, economic and political development. And so I just got really interested in like international relations and sort of that whole like process of creating, you know, a new political and economic system. Okay. And so when I decided that I wanted to do a PhD, of course, you know, you research programs and you look at places that where, you know, scholars are researching the things that you're interested in. And I found Ole Miss, which Tim Nordstrom, who ended up being my advisor and is now a very dear friend, uh, was doing some really cool work on international organizations, which is what I'm interested in. And I knew at the time, this is kind of strategic, I knew at the time that my GRE scores were not strong enough to get me into a top 10 program like Wisconsin or, you know, any of the Ivies or Michigan or Ohio State, but I figured I could probably get into Ole Miss. Tim was really cool when I came out and met him and he works with a lot of these top 10 guys. You know, he works okay. with Bill Reed out at Maryland and John P. V. House at Wisconsin, these like big famous nerds, you know, in like international organizations. So I'm just like, oh my God, this might be the way to sort of get that like those connections and that experience without having to get rejected from the top 10 program and being really bummed out. And so sure enough, got into Ole Miss, came out, visited it, loved it, and ended up here, still here seven years later. (laughs) Did you know when you got here that you were going to still continue restaurant, bar scene, that kind of thing, or did that just happen? No, for my whole first year that I was in Oxford, I didn't work. You know, I just kind of lived off my graduate stipend and money that I had saved. And uh, quickly sort of learned that A, I really missed it, you know, and B, uh, I missed not only the bar scene and like doing that job, but the people that you meet when you work in restaurants, sure. you know, some of my best friends, one of my very best friends in Florida who, you know, we traveled together. She's going to meet me in Chicago in a couple months. She and I bartended together for like five years and we became best friends. Those friendships are really unique and interesting because you go through some crazy stuff in a restaurant, you know, and like restaurant people get each other, you know? And so I missed having those friends, you know, those types of friends. I had really great friends in grad school, but you know, it's kind of all you talk about is grad school and that kind of sucks. And I'm like, I really want some new friends. So I really got a restaurant job in Oxford just for a little extra money and to have something to do that wasn't grad school, you know, grad school's really stressful and it sucks. A lot of it really sucks. And so you kind of need an escape and my escape was bartending. So you start out, you come different places. I, I know you end up at Ravine at one point and then, and then yeah, Paleo. I started at Green Roof Lounge. Right. And uh, that's how I met Joel over at Ravine. And when there was some management changes at Green Roof Lounge, I decided to contact him, see if I could work at Ravine, stayed there for a couple of years. And then, my really good friend Julia came to work at St. Leo after working at Ravine. And so she reached out to me when Joe Stinchcomb, the former bar director right. here, uh, who is now one of my very favorite people and yeah, good, sure. dear friend, um, he was going on a fellowship with Blackberry Farms. Right. And so they were like, they need a really good bartender, somebody that makes good cocktails and like it's already pretty strong to step in and fill Joe's spot. Now, it wasn't a bar director spot at that point. It was just a bartending, um, you know, but... They kind of wanted somebody that didn't have to train from zero, you know, that had some of that experience and that could fit into that St. Leo, like craft cocktail culture. 
And so I met with Emily and Joey and got the job and ended up absolutely loving it. And then COVID happened and Joe came back and, you know, that was a bummer for him. I mean, he was super excited about this fellowship and he had to come back. And then for six months, you know, we were closed and then we all come back to work. And in, well, in August, I took this past August, I took over for Joe as bar director when he left to get ready to open Bar Muse. And so he opened that, I think, in October. And I've been the bar director ever since. So what is the the interview process? Are you having to make cocktails for people? I mean, are you having to show skills? Like, what, 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 what does that look like? Well, I didn't have to hear, okay. um, you know, when I interviewed for the bartender position. Sure. And having worked for, what, a year probably before uh, Emily and Joey approached me about the bar director position when Joe had let them know that they were leaving, they kind of already knew, you know, that I had at least pretty good skills in yeah. like building cocktails and working in a busy bar. And so they asked me, you know, do you, would you be interested in building the cocktail list? You know, we could pay Joe as a consultant if that's not something that you want to do. And I was like, no, I would love it. And so then I sort of here and there, I would toy with stuff and then let them try my drinks. And they were like, oh, okay, this is like, okay, she knows what she's doing. This is okay. She knows what she's doing. This is okay. And so they kind of let me go. But Eddie knew in, you know, this is such an established program and everybody knows Joe and trusts <laughs> yeah, Joe. <laughs> and of course, I was a little nervous. I'm like, man, I hope people will give me a chance. And the cocktails have gotten great feedback. This is my third list here. And all three lists have gotten really great reviews and received by the staff really well. And so I think... You know, I think it's going pretty good. <laughs> I guess I, I'd obviously seen you here at times. I was one of the judges for the Iron Bartender last yeah. fall. Um, <laughs> did you, in a very friendly way, did you rag Joe? It was over. Did you, did you get him a little bit? No, I did okay. not. Because you won People's <laughs> Choice and Judge's Choice. I did. So you won I did. both. And nobody had ever done that before. And yeah. I was the first woman to win bar, Iron Bartender. And the, the main winner previously had been Joe, right. you know, every year. So it was kind of funny. I didn't give him too much crap about it, but you know, it was it was a little it was a little sweet. That victory was a little sweet. <laughs> so that event, you're told your spirit, right? You're given mm -hmm. a spirit, and then you have to build whatever around it from that point, correct? That's right. And you don't have a lot of time. We kind of find out our spirits a few days before. Okay. Um, you know, so I had been kind of toying with that cocktail for a while because I knew I wanted to do something really seasonal. You know, and something that I could, because I mean, that event, I've done that event a couple times previously. I got third place when I was with Ravine, so that was pretty cool. Uh, the last time it was in person. Sure. You know, and um, so I kind of knew what I was getting into, you know, as far as prep goes. And so you kind of got to think about, all right, what is some prep I can do in advance that hopefully will work regardless of what spirit I get? If I get vodka, if I get gin, if I get whiskey, if I get whatever, you know will this work and so I played with a few things just you know behind the bar dumping some bourbon in some dumping some gin in and I really truly lucked out because I got bourbon and I'd kind of been hoping for gin because the next day after Iron Bartender we were doing an event with Wonderbird okay sure. and so I was really hoping okay let me do all this prep at once and please let me get gin and I didn't get gin and I was like shoot okay well this cocktail hopefully will work with bourbon right because Wayne Wayne Andrews sent out the email he's like you got bourbon I'm like oh man and I had gallons of strawberry basil syrup strawberry basil <laughs> lime syrup that I had prepped you know just hoping that it would work with whatever and it was going good pretty well with you know all the stuff that I'd been experimenting with and I'm like well I can tweak it this way if I get you know tequila and I can tweak it this way if I get whatever and so 
start playing with bourbon. And I'm like, oh, this is actually good, but it yeah. needs something because the bourbon is really rich and deep. And I wanted it, like I said, you know, to work with gin the next day. So then I just pulled a bottle of sparkling rosé out and put oh, it on top. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, yeah. whoa, that's this it. is cool. Like, this it. is a great cocktail. And, and it worked with the gin too. You know, we did side by side with the Wonder Bread cocktail. And then at the time, I didn't, I had, I got George Dickel whiskey and I didn't have a bottle of George Dickel. So I was using it with just our four roses, you know, just seeing it. It just worked. And I was, I was super pumped that it worked. It was a weird thing to judge because <laughs> the two things that we discovered was a, there were some people that had put their drinks on the rocks, but it took so long for us to get to them. They had diluted yeah. to the point that I was like, okay. So we walked for obviously listeners. We would judge them all at the table and then walk around and talk to all the guests, or talk, all, 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 all the bartenders. And when we would get it fresh at the table, we're going, that's not the drink I had up there. That right. was completely different. So the strategy, I think, was to go more like up or neat or something for yeah. a lot of people. Because depending on when we got it at that point. And then, too, like you said, we didn't know what the spirit was they got. I mean, we could taste them, obviously. Sure. But, you know, you got done, you went, oh, shit, that was really creative. Or this thing, yeah. whatever. And you kind of like, okay, well, I kind of want to go. You know what I mean? It was, it yeah, was an interesting no. thing on... How exactly is it? Am I just judging the cocktail or am I judging what they were able to do with the cocktail, which is a completely different, different thing? There. Yeah, I think it'd be tough to be a judge in that situation because, A, there's a lot of talent in this town. You know, I mean, I'm lucky that, you know, I'm friends with a bunch of these dudes, but like, you know, you got Joe Stinchcomb shaking up cocktails. You got Ivy from Snack Bar shaking up cocktails. You know, you got the guys at Grit. You got Tark. You got all these people making cocktails. And you're like, oh, man, these are really good. <laughs> like. Oh, these are really good. And then, like you said, like, there's some guys working with, like, pink lemonade vodka. Yeah, and, like, yeah. Ivy got that weird orange tangerine. Oh, we did have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm like, oh, man, that would have been super weird to get that. Like, what would I have done? I probably could have worked with the strawberry basil with the orange tangerine, but that would have taken some brain power, you know, to think about how to sort of work with that flavor. Did you have any idea restaurant bar scene here when you were moving here at all? I mean, did you research beforehand? Oh, yeah, I'm a nerd. You know, okay. that's what I do. I research it. I researched the hell out of this place. I, when I first came, when I first came to Oxford, it was in January before I moved here in August. You know, and I had not gotten into Ole Miss and I hadn't accepted any offers. I applied to like eight places, I think. I think I applied to eight grad schools and I hadn't gotten any answers yet, but, you know, I was bouncing around kind of visiting. I went and visited Georgia State. Um, I visited Ole Miss. Uh, I was going to visit Alabama and Vanderbilt, you know, but I just... Canceled. After I visited Ole Miss, I was like, I got to go there. Like, right. that's it. But, of course, you know, I'm doing my research and I'm like, oh, there's like a pretty cool restaurant. I mean, this is in 2015, so it's not even what it is now. Right. But even then, it was like, okay, we got the Currents Dynasty. You know, you got like all these really cool spots that we, I've got to try. So I had this huge list, you know, of like places I got to eat and drink. And then I met with uh, Bob Brown, actually, was the graduate program coordinator at the time and then he gives me this oh you got to go to ajax and you got to go to you know all these spots that are like oxford installations you know and so it was funny my childhood best friend from little rock from the suburbs of little rock drove over and met me and we just all we did was just eat our way through oxford you know we just ate and oh, drank wow. all the stuff and had a great time and i was like oh okay this i can do this place right because like, i'm not gonna be bored with food or you know drinks and I told you at the time, I wasn't really sure if I was going to be working. I mm -hmm. kind of took that old first year off. But one of the first places I went was Snack Bar. And Jace was still heading up that program. 
And I didn't really get to know Jace very well because he left right, like kind of when I was moving, you know, here. But Ivy had taken over. Right. Ivy or Ivy was in the process of taking over. And I got to sit down, you know, at Snack Bar and try some really cool cocktails. And I remember texting my friend Liz, the one that we bartended together, and I was like, Oh, this place has some cool drinks, dude. And I'm sending photos. I'm like, okay, Oxford's gonna be rad. Like, look at this crazy, weird, you know, old fashioned that I'm drinking or whatever it was. And she was like, Oh, I didn't know they did cocktails in Mississippi. I was like, Me neither. <laughs> like, I'm learning all kinds of cool shit about Mississippi right now. This food is crazy. Are you a spreadsheet person? Mm. Excel, is that your thing? Oh, I got yeah, all kinds of yeah, and I got color code, you know, I color code everything. All my data, my dissertation data was all color-coded in a big old spreadsheet. And then, of course, I had to put it into the stats program. But I would email that to Tim and Susan. They'd be like, you're crazy. <laughs> so you put so much time and money and effort and sweat equity into the PhD thing. You obviously have a passion for bartending. What's next? What do you, what do you, what, what, what is, what is sort of the, the, the life plan at this point? Well, so, you know, I'm applying for academic jobs. Okay. I'm really lucky in that I have a really good job that I really like, where I make pretty good money and I have a lot of flexibility. And so I'm able to be a little more picky, I think, than some recent, you know, PhD grads where, I mean, typically, right, in academia, when you finish the PhD, you apply for any and every job that you are remotely right. qualified for because the job market sucks. It's really hard to get a teaching job. And, you know, if you can even pretend like you're qualified to teach you know, African politics, and that's what they need, then you do it. And that might not be your thing, but you try hard. And since I have a job, I kind of, this current, most current job cycle, I finished my PhD in August. So I started applying for jobs, you know, in like July, August, September, which is not ideal for the academic job market. So I, I really just applied to a few jobs that I was like, okay, these would be really cool. And I would really like these. And I would leave Oxford for these. Okay. And of course, I got one interview. I haven't gotten a job yet. So I'm probably going to be in Oxford for at least another year. Um, but I'm also sort of open to jobs that are probably even more difficult to get, which are like working in international organizations. I've oh, looked at jobs at the UN. I've looked at jobs with the IMF and NATO. You know, I study international cooperation through organizations. And so, you know, working for one of those would be really cool. But like I said, I have a job that I really like. So it's kind of okay with me if I sort of take my time finding a job that's relevant to my PhD. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll just be here forever. Who I was knows? about to say, are you okay giving this up permanently? I mean, I mean, it would be kind of weird, right? But I mean, I know you don't want to work those hours all the time your whole life, but I mean, yeah, it is kind of tough, you know, and I do still bartend. Like you can find me behind the bar yeah, four yeah. nights a week. And as you get older, that is a little bit tougher of a job to do, you know, standing and moving that fast and moving cases of wine and cakes of beer and, you know, doing that job it, day in and day out when you're a little, a little older than, a, you know, 20 something. But <laughs> so you talked about putting together a cocktail menu, which I mean, we've, we've got a couple of them right here. You've got the Marla Hooch in front of you, you yeah. said, which is uh, it's got a Prosecco. It's not a huge alcohol right. uh, content to it. I've got one that's got a little more in it, obviously. <laughs> yeah. You have a vodka drink on here. You've got a dark rum. You got a jalapeno tequila, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, give him the Hidoriki name for that one. Yeah. Uh, with some avocado. What goes into it? Like when you're trying to put a cocktail program together, when you're trying to put together what you want to accomplish, obviously seasonal ingredients, variety, those different things. But what's sort of the checklist that we for sure want to want to accomplish with it? So I love making really weird, cool, interesting drinks. 
but I, you have to remember, right? St. Leo is a business and we're trying to sell drinks too. So I always think about not only like I already said, you know, what's seasonal, what can I, what can I actually execute, but what are people going to like, you know? And so I like to build a cocktail list that people like me, big cocktail nerds are going to find cool and interesting, but people that may not be as adventurous or like as steeped in that weird cocktail culture are not going to be scared to try, you know? And so I like give them the heater, Ricky, that is an avocado drink. There is an actual avocado. There's avocado in that drink and spicy tequila. It's, you know, jalapeno, jalapeno infused tequila. So it's rich. It's creamy. It mm -hmm. is kind of weird. The one you drank is a little weird. It's, you know, bacon rinse bourbon. Some people are like, oh, drink bacon. Trust me, you do. <laughs> but, you know, so I want people to feel comfortable uh, with trying something maybe new and weird. But I also want to keep that sort of integrity of who is St. Leo. Like we are known for craft cocktails. You know, when Joe was here, this bar program was nominated for James Beard. So you don't just mix up, yeah, you know, yeah. any old cocktail. Like it's got to be sort of at a certain level and embracing that sort of identity of St. Leo, which is innovative and cool and sort of not what you can get anywhere else. And then obviously variety. I mean, you're, you know, hey, the yeah. bourbon guy, the vodka you know, right. girl, like the whole thing comes in. It's a little bit of everything. I mean, because... I, I guess before the the new menu, your your last bourbon was the campfire thing, which was really yeah. interesting with the marshmallow on top yes. of it. And you do get this big ass marshmallow sitting yes. on top of the deal. And I went, <laughs> you know, because it, it it tasted like the drink, but it literally tasted like a campfire. Like yeah. you almost almost like in a nostalgic way, where it's yeah. like holy shit, like yeah. Well, yeah, that was kind of a weird thing. But yeah, that thing where you that one was you really pull that cool. kind of thing off, and you go, oh, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, I, mean, so. I really loved that cocktail too. That was a brown butter rinsed bourbon. Um, and sweet potato syrup. So that was a winter yeah. cocktail. And like winter's tough, you know, to work with, like make it a seasonal menu. Cause like what's in season in freaking winter fruit, vegetables. Cool. What am I going to put parsnips and potatoes and beets in every drink, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, I put potatoes, I put beets and I put, um, what other root, uh, carrots. I had carrots in a drink. Really? Yeah. I had purple carrots in the last one. That was with some tequila and some mezcal and some ginger beer. So it's kind of a smoky, cool. It was purple carrot. So it was like this deep, bright pink purple drink. It's really cool. And honestly, sometimes part of what goes into the equation, especially when you're thinking about presentation and garnishes and the build of the drink, what's going to look cool on Instagram and what's going to look cool when it parades to the restaurant? The marshmallow drink, people did not care what it was. They're like, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want that marshmallow thing. Because what is it? What What's happening right there? It's a big ass marshmallow that's burned black, like charred. And it went with the drink. So I don't, I don't necessarily do those types of things. Like this big piece of bacon poking out of your drink. It's not just for looks like it has to go with the drink. This makes sense. Candied bacon. The marshmallow made sense. It was mm -hmm. a riff on a sweet potato pie, you know, but also, right. I want people to tell their friends about it. I want them to send them a picture of the drink. I want them to put it on the Instagram or whatever and be like, this is super cool. Is there things from past careers with the marketing and the advertising, those things that you can still use in those ways here? I mean, they, they do relate in some different capacities. Yeah. I mean, I think that just that, you know, yeah, that yeah. like sort of understanding visual, the social media and the yeah. things that people resonate with or they don't yeah. and, and whatnot. That's right. And, you know, you know, when you do advertising and marketing, you're always looking at sort of metrics and numbers. And then of course, people might not realize this, but political science is very mathy. It's very statsy. 
And so I am a numbers person too. And it's really kind of weird because I look at the numbers every single week and I go, okay, what's selling? What's not selling? Why might it be, you know, how many times did I see this posted on social media? How many times, you know, did I have somebody repeat order this drink or like tell me they came in because they wanted this one thing? You know, so I do think about all of that stuff and sort of look at those trends. I also look at, you know, local and national and worldwide trends. I follow lots of places on Instagram, you know, okay. and kind of sure. get those yeah, ideas, yeah, yeah. you know, just like what is going to be relevant? What are people seeing in, you know, Chicago or New York or Barcelona or, you know, whatever, right? I just went to Spain and France and I went to one of the most amazing bars, one of the top 50 bars in the world called Paradiso. I mean, they're doing crazy stuff we would never be able to do here just because of space and volume and whatever. But like, sure. it was just like, oh, this is wild. Like some of these cocktails are super cool. And even if you're not necessarily building that same cocktail, looking at the presentation and looking at how they market it and how they sort of think about that aspect of creating a cocktail list, it's not just putting a drink in a glass, mm -hmm. you know, now, especially it's so much more. And so you, that has to be kind of in there as well. Like, What's the most underrated cocktail or spirit? Oh, man. Underrated. Well, one of my favorites is gin. Okay. And I think gin is probably one of the most polarizing spirits. You're going to have to sell me here. You're going to have to sell exactly. me. Exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because did you have a really bad experience on gin when you were really young? I don't even know if it's that. It's that. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Like, because I'm with you. It, yeah, it, it's my own do. personal deal because I have tried certain craft cocktails at Wonder Bird that have been fantastic. Sure. I've had gin in them. They've been good. I like Wonder Bird. It's all good. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that you're right. I think that mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily had a taste for it. I was a very bourbon-centric person, very yeah. rye-centric person. And there was something about the botanicals that just didn't quite register with me in some way yeah. or another. And I got away from it when I should have kept going a yeah. little bit. And I just... Because even now, like, I go, hey, it's got gin. And I go, I don't know. Like, yep. But I love an aviation. Like, sure. I, so I don't know... You're you're right, and I'm evidence of that. Yeah. But I still can't make myself go all in on it. I no, guess, and, and that's that's what a lot of people either you know they have that really bad experience when they were underage and they're drinking you know their dad's weird you know Gordon's gin with like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Coca Cola or something something just terrible because they you know can't get a good cocktail because yeah, sure. they're too young and they don't know what they're doing and they're drinking terribly mixed and unbalanced you know gin and they just think that they hate gin and. I think most, a lot of people, you know, they either think that they hate gin because they've had gin done badly, or they're just scared to try it because it is weird. And gin, I think more than probably almost any other spirit, any of those base sort of spirits has so much variation, you know, because you can get those very junipery, like London dries, mm -hmm. or you can get those really weird botanical, you know, Uncle Val's and Seersuckers and Wonder Birds that have completely different tastes. And a lot of people don't realize that gin is truly basically vodka with botanicals the, right you know distillation process is the same and so i think if people are just a little ballsy enough to go to a place like saint leo or some of my other friends you know here around town and try a gin cocktail that's very deliberately created to be really well balanced with very complementary flavors based on what gin they're putting in there i think we can get more people to at least try gin. Maybe not embrace it and become like a gin. Like I am a gin girl. I love gin, but I totally understand that people sometimes don't. So I think, and it's popular, right? Gin's not yeah, necessarily sure. like, oh, a slept on secret, but I think 
it's the most underrated underappreciated spirit <laughs> so what's the best base cocktail for a person just trying to get into gin they go hey i want this what are what like what what what, Man, what, 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 love, what are we asking or making or anything i else? love a gimlet oh, oh, you know yeah, yeah, sure. i mean that's a really easy way to sort of get into a gin and it's getting warmer soon yeah, yeah you know you can sit outside of the gimlet and gimlets if you aren't familiar it's really base spirit like two parts base spirit one part lime one part simple syrup so it's got acidity it's got sweetness very simple. It lets the flavors of the gin come through. Try them with a couple of different gins. You know, try one with a Tangeray gin. Try one with something like a Hendrix mm -hmm. that has rose hips and cucumber and all these weird botanicals. And then try it with something like a Searsucker that's a citrus-based gin. And you'll figure out, based on trying it in those very different ways, what your preferences are. If you like a more citrusy thing, if you like that piney, earthy juniper taste, you know, if you try it done the same way each time with a different gin, the flavors, those, that lime and that simple doesn't really compete with the gin. It just kind of highlights and complements it. So that's kind of one of my favorite go-tos. If I'm in a dive bar or a cocktail bar, I can get a gimlet. As long as they're not using Rose's lime juice. Please don't use Rose's lime juice. That's a bad thing. Yeah, please use fresh squeezed lime juice okay. and sim make some simple syrup. It's just equal parts sugar and water. You can make it in the microwave. You don't need any fancy tools. <laughs> just don't use lime juice from a bottle. Okay. You will taste the difference. There's you 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. will taste the difference. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's the same things. I've I, one of the more underrated things for me is just people like just the 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 actual daiquiri. Like I love just like the Ooh, simple, real yes. daiquiri. That's like okay, it's hot outside. That's like, right, that's which is whatever. a gimlet build, right? Right, correct. Yes, yeah, so I was thinking same kind of thing, yep. same 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 deal there. So on the other side, what's the most overrated cocktail? Oh what you, man, what do you roll your eyes at? You, 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 come on, you, you, Moscow you, Mule. Oh really? Okay. Like yeah. a ginger beer and lime juice. Come on, that's so boring. <laughs> it's boring. I mean. And, you know, look, I, the last three cocktail menus, I've had a vodka drink on my menu and I'm not, definitely not knocking anybody that, you know, drink what you like, whatever, right. pour it up, we'll drink do what it. you like, yeah. but vodka, vodka is almost like if you've ever cooked with like quinoa, right? Quinoa does not taste like anything until you put something in it. Oh, okay. You know, if you put some jalapenos and some black beans and some corn and some quinoa, delicious, right? And if you put nothing in some quinoa, it's going to taste like cardboard. Vodka to me is kind of like that, where it's not got a lot of personality until you add things to it. And I just think vodka soda, boring. Moscow mule, boring. You know, do something fun. You know, put make it a Kentucky mule. Put some bourbon in there. You know, give it some complexity and some fun, you know, character. What's the best old fashioned that's not bourbon? What's the what's the what's the spirit that we maybe should use in, in an old fashioned? Cognac. Sure. Okay. Use some cognac, yeah, or some brandy, like something that's really cool and aged in a barrel and got some sweetness to it. I think that's really fun. Right. So I get this a lot, and obviously you're much better at answering this than I am. People, I've always talked about, you know, home bars. What are the things I have around with things? If, if, if you're somebody who's just building their home bar, what are kind of the base things that you 100% think they should have in that place? Definitely, first of all, don't go super cheap. Buy a good quality spirit. It's probably going to make some of the difference. You don't have to go crazy, crazy top yeah, sure. shelf, you know, 80. You don't have to go crazy, crazy top yeah, shelf, sure. you know, 80 bucks a bottle or whatever. Buy a decent mid to high level base spirit. You know, get, of course, buy what you like, but it's really nice to have a good vodka. A good, you know, if you like the more Canadian Irish type whiskeys, you know, get a Crown Royal, get a Jameson. If you like a bourbon, I mean, you can, can't go wrong with like a, just a nice Four Roses. My home bar is actually not as big as you might think. It's not as extensive, but 
I've got about three bourbons. You know, I have like Maker's Mark, good bourbon just to sort of make a bourbon cocktail with. I got Basil Hayden's, that's my drink straight bourbon. You know, and then I've got some Four Roses that if I'm trying to infuse stuff and okay. experiment, it's not very expensive. So, you know, if you mess it up you screw or it up, whatever, it's, okay. it's like, yeah, it's not the biggest, worst thing, but but it typically takes on other flavors pretty well. And so that's kind of what I have, you know, at my house. But, and then of course, you know, get a couple of weird things. You know, I love a chartreuse, you know, I love an Amaro. I love this Italian liqueur called Italicus. It's a bergamot and citrus liqueur. Mm. You know, so if you get these sort of really nice liqueurs and like Aperol, great sort of complimentary spirit because you can use it to mix a cocktail or you can dump some Prosecco in it and have a little spritz. Yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah. things that do double duty, I think are really good if you're trying to build a bar and you're starting out. So you're sort of outlaying that initial cost of like, okay, I'm going to buy a couple things at once. It's going to probably cost a couple hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah, sure. hundred bucks. Buy things that can do double duty and serve on their own as well as in a cocktail. Cause then you get multiple uses out of them and you're taking up a little less space and you're going to have a little more fun. Two or three drinks that everybody should know how to make. Oh man. Old fashioned, of course. Sure. It's easy. It really is. You only need like three things for an old fashioned. You need bourbon, bitters, and sugar. And um, you prefer sugar over simple syrup? Well, I mean, if you have the time to sit there and stir it and stir it or smash the sugar cube or whatever, sure. But simple syrup is it gets just the job as, done. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. as fine. Just don't go overboard. Restraint. Use restraint. That's just cover good. the. Just, just, just. Just like, I mean, literally. Less than a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup. You know, yeah. you can always add. Remember, remember, you can always add. You cannot take away. So just use a little restraint. Learn how to make a good old-fashioned. Learn how to make a good gimlet. Most of these, because see, once you master those sort of classics, right, like learn how to make a good Negroni. These things are classic builds that when you start experimenting, typically, right, you can take out one ingredient and replace it with something else. And that build will stay the same because the build creates balance, right? So, and what I'm talking about when I say build an old fashioned is typically two ounces of bourbon, yep. dash of sugar or simple syrup, sure. dash a couple dashes of bitters, a Negroni. That's a classic gin cocktail. It's three parts, right? One part each, gin, uh, sweet vermouth, and Campari. Yeah. So one ounce of each. And so when you learn that, right, you can do something cool like build a white Negroni and use gin and white vermouth, blanc vermouth, and something like Italicus which is a clear liqueur that, that will complement that gin. Or you can build a sort of three-part cocktail with anything else that you think would go well together. But the most important thing to remember when you're building a cocktail is balance, right? You want a base spirit, you want something acidic, you want something sweet, and you want water. So we shake cocktails not to make them cold. We're dumping them over ice, typically. You're shaking a cocktail to dilute that alcohol to whatever degree you want to dilute it to right yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know you and you know shaking a cocktail two or three times back and forth in a shaker is not enough right you want to because the water it'll dilute that spirit and it rounds out the flavors right it sort of blends everything together and it makes for a more balanced more well-rounded cocktail that's not just super strong flavors so you know if you've ever used those sort of concrete rocks right for your bourbon sure. the bourbon is super strong the whole time you probably wouldn't want to build an old fashioned on top of a concrete rock because you're not going to get any water and it's not going to round out those flavors. So dilution is really important in your cocktails. So always remember when you're experimenting with a cocktail, put something acidic in there, put something sweet 
or bitter, whatever flavor you're working with, right? That's why we have bitters. Angostura bitters are pretty classic. Orange bitters are pretty versatile. Yeah, sure. and a Sazerac. Those are nice base bitters to get to start experimenting with how to use bitters. And then you need some water. Yeah, I was. I, I have a theory that you can feel free to call me an idiot on. That, that, that's perfectly oh, fine. No, I, no, no. I'm mentioning. I'm mentioning old fashioned in the beginning. I think Mad Men screwed it up. I think it ruined the old fashioned for everybody because I think so many people they're they're following Don Draper and they're watching this TV show and they come in and they order old fashions when they don't actually want an old fashioned because right. they want something weaker or whatever. And that's why now we're pouring so much club soda into old fashioned in certain places. We're we're muddling cherries and oranges yeah. all over the place and we're doing all these things to where they're creating a fruit juice for the person who doesn't actually want the old. No, I don't think you're wrong at all. I completely believe that that we're not sticking to the base, yeah. whatever that is. That is what you know, whatever it is. I, yeah, just a theory, but that no, is... I think you are probably completely right because yeah, an old fashioned is not an entry level cocktail, right? Yeah, you don't go from drinking, you know, beer Coors Light that you stole from your dad, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in like college and high school, to just going to a bar and order an old fashioned. Like that's a thing that you build to. Because it is two ounces of booze, yeah. you know, like it's a big ass drink. And so you got to be able to sort of understand. And sometimes, right, an old fashioned is a great drink to order sort of at the beginning of a meal and let it sit for a few minutes. And while you sip on like a Prosecco to start and you kind of have your old fashioned, then you kind of swirl it around, you know, let that ice like melt. And then you kind of take sips of it because it will get a little better over time as that big ice cube sort of slowly melts. Right. So. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think okay. that is probably why. Oh, can you smash up some cherries in the bottom of my old fashioned? Yeah. Oh, that's a sin. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll do leave it. a couple places ago. That was an alcoholic sun kiss. That's right. That's what it was today. I'll do it if you want me to, but damn, it kind of hurts my heart. Don't a tell bit. me. Yeah, don't, <laughs> that's like don't, don't judge me on it. This mm -hmm. is not my. This is not. This is not my whatever. So, right. Right. <laughs> uh, what is uh? What's the best dish on the menu right now? Oh man! So brand new food menu at San Leo okay. just rolled out today. Oh, just today. Okay. Today. Okay. So, um, man, there's a pasta limon that's amazing right now. Super lemony, light pasta. It's got cheap, like Parmesan cheese on it. It's a lemon sauce. It's really light. I love it. Add some shrimp to it. Amazing. It'd go really well with some of our lighter cocktails. The Great Bambi would go awesome mm. with that. Marla Hooch. The Etna Bianco wine would be amazing with that. There's also a um, a pork dish that's brand new. It's oh my god! It's got it's an Italian name, and I'm really sorry I'm forgetting it oh, right dude. now. We'll have to look at the menu, but amazing! It's two sort of fried pork, chop boneless like pork chops, right? Pork cutlets, whatever. Um, served with this amazing arugula and radicchio sort of salad with a bunch of capers and lemon sauce. Super amazing. Um, and we finally brought one of my favorite things back: the pork belly. With grapefruit and fennel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, it's so good. So I'm coming for dinner tonight. I told okay. you a little earlier. One of my one of my bartenders is moving on. He is an engineer. He got an engineering job in Columbia, South Carolina. So tonight is his last shift. So okay. a bunch of us are going to come in. Of course, we got to see him for the last time shaking up some cocktails at Saint Leo. So we'll be in for dinner, and I'm I don't even know what I'm going to order. I'm going to have to we're going to have to order family style, which we love here at Saint Leo. I forgot this last thing. What's the purpose of an egg in a cocktail? Oh, man. Egg white I'm cocktails. scared of it. No, it's don't a, be no, scared. It's the most, I am terrified of a it. A lot of people are. Okay. And I understand. Right. Okay. So egg whites don't have a lot of, they don't have flavor, right? What they really do is add a sort of interesting viscosity to the drink, right? They make it a little silkier and a little creamier. And they also create a really great sort of foamy head on the cocktail. So 
if you see a starting pistol cocktail in St. Louis, one of our day sure. one drinks, it's yeah. probably one of the highest selling, most popular. People don't even look at the list. They got always starting. People don't even look at the list. They got always starting pistol. They know. And that is a riff on a brown derby, which is a classic bourbon cocktail, bourbon, honey syrup, and grapefruit juice, and a whiskey sour, which is whiskey, bourbon, whatever, lemon juice, simple syrup, and an egg white, or powdered sugar and an egg white. Mm -hmm. So we put those together here at St. Leo. This is a Jay's cocktail, you know, I think five years ago at St. Leo. But the egg white is important, right? Because when, so first we heavy shake the cocktails, we shake it with water or with ice, strain it, add the egg white, and shake it without what's called dry shake. So no ice is in the shaker. And what that does is, aerates that egg white, kind of like when you're making meringue, right? For a lemon meringue pie. Sure. You beat those egg whites and you force air into the egg whites. It makes it really fluffy, foamy, beautiful thing. Same with the cocktail. So we're aerating those egg whites and creating this beautiful sort of head like a foamy beer has, and then we top it with bitters. And so the bitters kind of sit on top and slowly dissipate through the cocktail. But when you drink it, you can feel a very like sort of subtly silky mouthfeel because that gooey egg white gets distributed throughout that liquid and just gives it some viscosity and some just okay body so don't be scared of it don't be go scared ahead. of it go no. go also you know at st leo we buy good eggs we buy high quality you know farmed eggs they're not necessarily these sort of dirty gross you know in the united states our egg system is pretty clean okay you know so you don't really have to worry about getting some sort of food poisoning from an egg also, <clears throat> the acid in the cocktail helps sort of moderate that a little bit as well. There's a bunch of acid. There's grapefruit juice and lemon juice. So it's not necessarily like cooking the egg white. And it's not guaranteed to kill any sort of anything. But the chances of getting sick on an egg white cocktail are very, very slim. There's a little acid or something. There's a little acid, right? Yeah. yeah, you know. And and like I said, we're using really clean eggs in our processes here. Pretty, pretty, pretty top-notch sanitary. So... Don't be scared of an egg white cocktail. If you need to ease into it, I get it. They're, it's good stuff. So new cocktail menu, new food menu, obviously now right. too at uh, at St. Leo. Again, I had uh, I had the uh, the bourbon, the bacon. What I have, what was up? There's no crying in baseball. That's right. Yeah, that <laughs> you think I would remember some of these? But yeah, that is uh, that is there. You had the. Um, Marla Hooch. The Marla Hooch. Again, Prosecco with some. Uh, yeah, so it's grapefruit and coriander right. infused yeah, lillet, yeah. which is just a French fortified wine. Uh, very similar to like a vermouth, so you can kind of use it in the same way, or you can drink it right straight on the rocks. But I infuse this with toasted coriander seeds and um, grapefruit peels. There's a dash of lime juice for some acidity, a vanilla grapefruit syrup. So I put vanilla bean and grapefruit juice and a little sugar down, rinse, uh, reduce it down to a syrup, and then top it with prosecco. So it's low ABV, it's really light and refreshing, but it's got a lot of complexity from the grapefruit and the coriander. It's really good. Come in, try either one of those as well as the new food, food menu. Do. Like I said, the pork chow is back. Pork oh, chow is back this to, to, tonight as well. So yes. uh, thanks for coming today off. Let's uh, do it again. Thank you. This was a blast. Yeah, I had a great time.